great to be with you this morning. And uh, and it, it is good that Mark and Christy are getting some time off. Mark told me they haven't taken a regular vacation in several years. So I'm really, really glad and hope they're having a great time. And I'm grateful to be with you. I am an elder in the church, as Tully said, but we're often not here. Uh, my job, I work with hundreds of our churches in Oregon, Washington, and North Idaho. Last week, we're in Bothell. Uh, Monday or Friday night, I was at the Ukrainian Baptist Church in Vancouver. I don't, I don't know if you knew we had a Ukrainian language church that's affiliated with us. Uh, most of our Ukrainian churches, by the way, they worship in Russian. We have 19 Russian language churches, just so you know. There's about 500 churches in total. About 19 are Russian language. However, this church doesn't want to worship in Russian. They want to worship in Ukrainian. Russian enables him to reach the former Soviet Union, all of those countries of the former Soviet Union, but they worship just in Ukrainian. They built a strong Ukrainian language church, and so you're a part of that. By the way, that church helps support our church. I don't know if you knew this. We are still considered a mission church, just two years old this week on September 30th, I think was our launch date. And so these churches uh, across the Northwest are helping us still yet to this day get launched as a church. And I think it's helpful that you know that. As a matter of fact, one of those churches burned uh, about two or three weeks ago in the fires in Oregon. We had one church that we lost to the fires in Mill City, Oregon, uh, down sort of in central Oregon where some of the fires were worse. The pastor, Rich Cole, his home burned and the church burned. So uh, I've talked to Rich a few times since then, prayed for him. By the way, you helped him. We were able to help that church and probably will help more as they get back on their feet following those fires. We had uh, quite a few fires that came right up to the edge of some of our churches, burned the homes of a lot of our church members in Phoenix, Oregon was one of them, and Talent in that area down there. So anyway, we got the smoke, they got the fires. And so that's part of the work that you do, by the way, uh, is uh, working together when people need it most, whether it be a disaster or starting a new church or whatever it might be. So anyway, I'm very grateful my wife and I are, are to be a part of, of Go Church. We actually live in Ridgefield, and so we're a part of the launch in the early days of Go Church, and we're really, really grateful uh, to be a part of this great work. I wish we could have been here last week at the Baptique. I understand we had eight people baptized last, last Sunday evening and a barbecue and all that. How many of y'all were here for that? Okay, most of you were here for that. I, like I said, we were up in Bothell. But anyway, I'm so grateful that, uh, that you were able to be a part of that. And grateful for those of you who are new followers of Jesus. You know, the way you publicly profess your faith in Jesus is through baptism. That is your demonstration, your commitment to the world and to your family and the community that you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. That is a really, really big deal. I've been in a lot of countries, Islamic countries and other places where that could get you in big, big trouble. Could actually get you killed in some parts of the world. So uh, grateful that God is working through our congregation to reach people and bring them into his kingdom and bring them into his church. You know, one of the great... Um, encouraging things when you read the biographies of people whom God has greatly used is that often there was a time in their life when they experienced a disaster of some sort, a tragedy, and yet God took that tragedy, that disaster, and made of it a triumph, transformed it, took the very thing that was the most difficult thing and made of it something that became great in their life. 
In fact, this whole COVID situation, it may be, I don't know, it may be that one of you who were baptized came to faith in Christ because you came to understand that there is nothing certain in this world. You can work your whole life to build a business or to build a, you know, a, a relationship or whatever, and it can be gone quickly. And one of, one of the amazing things, by the way, we're experiencing in our churches is our churches are doing really, really well. Go Church is doing really, really well. And the reason for that is you are biblical stewards. You are not religious consumers. And so just like my wife and I, even though we're not here, we support the church financially just like many of you do. And that's what we're experiencing throughout the Northwest. However, if you own a restaurant, you're in trouble. And a lot of businesses are as well. And I think even something so damaging as COVID is teaching people and look out for opportunities in your own friends and family to help them see there is no certainty in this world. There is trouble. There is disaster. But there's no sense of certainty apart from the certainty that we find in Jesus Christ. Now, one of the most encouraging books, I'm a, I love to read, and this book, it looks rather simple, and it is rather simple in terms of how it's written. It's written very, very well, but very clear. And it's probably the most encouraging book I've read in the last two years. It's called Not Forgotten. And it's about the missionaries that we support. As a part of Go Church, you support thousands of missionaries all over the world, by the way. This book is uh, about 18 missionaries whose name we don't know, but they are not forgotten. And they're their, their ministry has been resurrected by this book. David Brady wrote the book. And there's a wonderful story. If you want to read just an encouraging book about people, normal, ordinary people that God has used to build his kingdom, this book, Not Forgotten, it's a great book. One of the missionary couples in this book is George and Minnie Lacey. And George and Minnie were missionaries in southern Mexico who are our own Tory. Uh, Ford is. Is Tori here this morning? I don't know if Tori's here. Tori is, uh, is Mark and Christie's daughter. She is a missionary in Oaxaca, Mexico. Oaxaca down in the south and has been back for a while because of COVID. But in that part of Mexico, George and Minnie Lacey spent much of their ministry. And George and Minnie, after about 18 months, God was really at work through them Christmas of 1903. They that's when they arrived. In Christmas of 1904, they baptized eight people. And everything was going really, really well. And then the youngest of their children, their little baby girl, Octavia, got sick. In fact, she was violently ill on December the 28th of that year, 1904. And she was dead within a couple of days. And then, after Octavia died, their little boy, Watson, he was their only boy, they had five children. Watson got sick, same symptoms, and Watson was dead within 12 hours. And so George put his wife, Minnie, and their three surviving children on a train back to Arkansas, where they were from. And then he followed them just shortly after that. However, by the time he met up with his wife, he learned all three of the remaining children died. They believe it was scarlet fever, all five children. So many buried them as they died along the route back to Arkansas from Mexico. And so George went to visit those graves with his wife, 
And at some point on that journey, he said, we have to go home. We must give up. And this is what Minnie said. She said, no. We have given our children for Mexico. And now we will go back and give our lives. And that's exactly what they did. Minnie lived another 30 years. George lived much longer than that. In fact, when he reached mandatory retirement at age 70, he stayed in Oaxaca and continued his ministry there until he died. And I wanted to ask Tori this question. There is a seminary in Oaxaca named after George Lacey because they loved him so much. He was one of them. You hear and read stories like that, and it reminds you that in Jesus, trouble can be transformed into joy, into triumph. And I want to take you to a verse of Scripture. We're going to look at several verses, but really the key verse is in the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. And I would invite you to turn with me there. John's Gospel, the 16th chapter. And this is the last thing that Jesus said before the cross. The last teaching that Jesus gave. Actually, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed a prayer. His last sermon, we call it the farewell discourse, it began in the upper room in John 13 and then into John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus delivered his last sermon to the 12 and to those inner circle of disciples. Last thing he said, and then he prayed, by the way, in John 17. If you don't know John 17, it's the greatest prayer in all of the world. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer, we call it. Shortly after that prayer, probably in Gethsemane, is when he was arrested and when he was then, in just hours, crucified. But notice the last thing that Jesus said, the last teaching he gave before the cross. In verse 33, John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the last thing Jesus said. Then he, then he prayed, and then the soldiers came and he was arrested. I have come that you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In this world, you will deal with cancers and horrible people and opposition from the enemy himself. You will have trouble, but take heart, have courage, be brave. I have overcome the trouble of the world. It's interesting, five times Jesus said in the New Testament, take heart, be brave, have courage. And every time in each of those five instances, the only solution that Jesus gave to trouble was himself, his presence. The first was in Matthew chapter 9 when the four friends brought their paralytic friend, if you remember the story. They brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They couldn't get into Jesus, so they went up on the roof, tore a hole in the roof, and lowered him to Jesus' feet. And in Matthew's account in chapter 9, Jesus said to the paralytic, take heart, be brave, have courage. Second instance was the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, if you remember that story. Jesus said, take heart, be brave, have courage, don't be afraid. 
And then there was a time when the disciples were on a stormy sea and they were frightened and then they thought a ghost was coming to them and it was Jesus walking on the water. And when Jesus walked toward them on the water, he said, uh, don't be afraid, take heart, be brave, have courage. In Acts 23 is the other one. When the resurrected ascended Jesus appeared to the apostle Paul when he was in prison in Jerusalem, he came to Paul. Be brave. Take heart. Have courage. And then this is the fifth. This is the ultimate final teaching of Jesus. When you experience trouble or hardship or disappointment in your life, what is the solution? It's not a list of ten things, do's and don'ts. It is the presence of Christ himself. Jesus himself. That's what the text says. He is, he is the solution. It's interesting because when you read the entire account, uh, you see that the context for Jesus' teaching is the cross. In just 8 to 12 hours, Jesus would die on the cross. And so I want us to go back and begin with verse 16 and read some of the context leading up to the final thing that Jesus said. If you look at John chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus says, In a little while you will see me no more. That's the cross. And in a, after a little while you will see me. That's the resurrection. Some of his, of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? Why don't we understand what, what he is saying? Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Let's pause there. Jesus said, as only Jesus himself could ever say, I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I am leaving the world 
and going back to the Father. Do you realize no one in all of history could have ever said anything like that? Except for Jesus? Because only Jesus pre-existed his, his birth on this earth. You and I did not, you and I were created at conception. We did not have a pre-existence. We don't believe in, in reincarnation and you know, these multiple existence, one after the other after another. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that we are created in the likeness and in the image of God. But Jesus is God. Jesus pre-existed with his father back into all of eternity. He was not created. He entered the world through the birthing process, but only Jesus could say, I came from the father and now I am going back to the Father. The implication being, nothing and no one can keep me from my Father's presence. I came to earth and walked in the ways of a man and did so with absolute perfection. Jesus maintained his purity to such perfection that he could literally say, I'm going to leave here and I'm going back there right into the presence of my Father, and there is no power that can keep me from His presence. There is no door that can shut me from walking right into the presence of my Father because my holiness is equal to that of the Father. There is no angel that can stand in my way. There is no devil that can keep me out. I will leave here, and I'll go there because my righteousness challenges and matches the very righteousness of the Father. Do you see in that a new definition of holiness and righteousness? You and I could never say that because we are sinful and we are unrighteous and our only hope for heaven is that the blood of Jesus shed for our sin is received by faith and washes away our sin and makes us pure and righteous in the sight of God the Father only because we are covered with the purity and the righteousness of Jesus' shed blood. This is a new definition of righteousness that Jesus gives. If you go back to verse 16, Jesus said, in a little while, you will see me no more. That's the cross. And then, after a little while, you will see me. That's the resurrection, the great event of all history. If anyone ever asks you, why, why are you a Christian? Why did you give your life to Christ? The, the best, probably, first answer you can give is because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And that is true of no other, no other, only Jesus. And if you accept the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, it changes everything. It changes all of history. It changes eternity. Jesus isn't just a good moral philosopher or teacher. He is the resurrected Savior, the Son of God. In a little while, you will see me no more. The cross was the worst thing that ever happened to Peter, James, and John and the rest. Now, you know 11 of the 12 died as martyrs, but uh, John was the only one we believe survived till old age and died, we think, a natural death. But we know Peter was crucified upside down and and uh, Paul, who was not one of the twelve, but Paul died getting his head chopped off. These men died, but that, those were not the worst days in their lives. The worst day was the day that Christ died because that was the death of hope. 
That was the death of everything they had invested their life in. They had invested everything they were. All that they hoped for was invested in the person of Jesus. And when he died on the cross, they thought it was over. There is something worse than physical death. It's the death of hope. It's, it, it's, it's this idea that it's all over. Everything I've worked for, everything I've built my life. And by the way, even if you were one of the winners, you still die. Even if you're Bill Gates, even if you're, Warren Buffett is like almost 90 now. I wouldn't want to trade places with Warren Buffett. I'm expecting to live another 30 years. I don't think he has that much time left. The ways of human beings is the way of the grave. And therefore, the thing that is worse than death itself is the loss of hope that we can be with our God forever and forever. And by the way, with each other as well. When you know Jesus and your wife knows Jesus, then you know that you'll know her forever and ever, and your ch children, and all you know and love. It's going to be an eternal reunion with Christ and with the people of God. That's what, we, that's what we receive when we say yes to Jesus. After a little while, you will see me no more. Then you will see me, the resurrection. And the context of this expose on trouble is the fact that in Christ there is joy in the midst of trouble. He said, you will mourn while the world rejoices, speaking of the world rejoicing in the death of Jesus on the cross. But then he says, your grief will turn to joy. He didn't say, by the way, your grief will, will uh, be replaced by joy. He said, your grief will turn to joy. Your grief will be transformed, metamorphosized into joy. In other words, the very thing that produced your grief is the very thing that will produce your joy. And he uses one of the most wonderful illustrations that almost half in this room can relate to, and that is birthing a child. Because in the birth of a child, from what I've been told, it's painful. <laughs> and yet, once the child is birthed and placed in the arms of the mother, joy. The very thing that produced such pain and anguish is the very thing that produces such joy when the baby is born. The very thing that sometimes hurts the most. That's why repentance is good news, by the way. I don't know if you knew this, but today has been deemed, I don't know who deemed it as such, as Repentance Sunday. All across the nation. You know, there was a big prayer march in Washington, D.C. yesterday. Tens of thousands of Christians marched and prayed. Today is deemed as Repentance Sunday. And repentance is good news. Repentance is painful because what it means is I've got to confess that I'm a sinner. I've got to confess that I don't measure up. And yet, by that confession and receiving forgiveness from God, we receive eternal life and forgiveness. So repentance is painful, but it leads to something great. Grief is painful, but their grief, the cross, the very thing that produced grief was the very thing that produced joy, was transformed. And if you notice in verse 20, he says, no one will take away your joy. It's permanent. It's durable. The joy that Jesus gives cannot be taken by any power on this earth. No diabolical power, no human power, no circumstance can take your joy. It is permanent. 
The word happiness, or happy, comes from an old English word, hap, which means by chance or by circumstance. That's, that's what happiness is. If your circumstance is good, you're happy. If your circumstance is bad, you grieve and you're sad. Joy is something different than that. Joy is durable. Joy is there even in the midst of the sadness. It's a quality that comes from God that people without Christ don't experience. Not true joy. They experience happiness, but not true joy. That's why C.S. Lewis, some of you have read some of his books. C.S. Lewis was an atheist, a brilliant, brilliant man. And when he came to faith in Christ, he said he was surprised by joy. And his spiritual autobiography, that's the term he used, surprised by joy. He did not know what joy was until he came to know Christ. It is something that transcends circumstance. It transcends smoke and COVID and personal catastrophe or disaster. Death itself, joy is something that goes on into eternity with God. Joy. Jesus said that the very thing that produced grief, the cross, is the very thing that will produce joy. Why? Because it will unite you with my Father. Do you notice what he said in the prayer promise? If you go down to verse uh, 26, I think it is. He said, in that day you will, ask, uh, uh, you will ask in my name. By the way, what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? I don't know everything that means, except that it means to ask everything in prayer in the spirit of Christ, according to the will of Christ, according to the character of Christ. When we pray in Jesus' name, we pray according to who Jesus is and what his will and purpose in the world is. He said, in that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Not everyone has God as their father. God is the creator of every human being. By the way, that's why, that is the basis for why Christianity stands firmly against any form of racial prejudice. Every human being, black, yellow, white, Chinese, Japanese, African, wherever a person comes from the world, Sweden, wherever they come from the world, a person is made in the image and likeness of God. That's the bit. We don't have to get into politics and philosophy. Go to the scriptures and you'll find that in Jesus there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus, we are told in Galatians. Every person is created in the image and likeness of God. But God becomes your father when by faith you receive Jesus and love Jesus. Jesus said the father will hear your prayer because he loves you because you love me. The father loves those, adopts into his own family, those who by faith come to know and trust his son. That's the basis of our prayer promise, that we know and love Jesus. And when we know and love Jesus, the Father knows and loves us. And he hears our prayer. Can you there is nothing more powerful or amazing in the world than the fact that the God who created the heavens and the earth listens to you when you pray in Jesus' name. 
and he responds to your prayer and to mine. That's the most incredible thing that we could ever think. And so often it's the last thing we try or do in the midst of trouble. But when you're in trouble and before you get there, pray. Ask God to show up and do a work. The final thing I'll say is this. It's that first statement. I say final, final uh, section, not sentence. <laughs> In verse 33, as Jesus is coming to the climax of his teaching on, on joy and the impact of the cross and how he overcame the world and overcame the troubles of the world, through the cross and the resurrection. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Peace and joy are sisters. Peace and joy go together. Only God gives peace, true peace. A, a rested soul, a rested spirit Freedom from a guilty conscience. Freedom from crippling uh, worry or pain. Peace. Have you learned that there is no peace in the world? None. Absolutely none. The world can't give peace. Several years ago, I was listening to a poet on the radio. They were interviewing him. He was from Northern Ireland. And he was talking about the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And many of you probably have not heard of the Troubles. But the Troubles was a time about a 25-year period, maybe longer, in Northern Ireland in which there was battles raging between the Protestant population, which were pro-British, and the Catholic population, which was pro-independence and pro-Ireland. So sort of a Protestant-Catholic conflict. Hundreds of people died over the years. And finally, in the mid-1990s, they created what they called a peace. But what the poet said was, how he said, this does not mean that we love each other. He said, we hate each other, but we don't kill each other, and therefore we call it peace. He said, really, it's peaceful bigotry. We're bigoted toward each other. We just don't kill each other. And I immediately thought, that is the best the world can do. I mean, look at the peace efforts of the world. Uh, whether it's peace between the Palestinians and the Jews, or the, uh, Israel and Arab nations, or peace agreements following wars and conflicts. and You just look at all of the peace agreements that the world has ever... By the way, remember Yasser Arafat? Some of you are too young to remember him. He was a Palestinian terrorist who won the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> you look at the winners of the Nobel Peace Prize and you don't always find peaceful souls on the list, okay? The best the world can do is bring about a peaceful bigotry, sort of an armistice. But the world cannot cause us to love each other. Only in Jesus do we love each other. And that's why the church is such a miracle because in the church you have young and old and rich and poor and various political and philosophical ideas Various ethnicities. That, by the way, is a threat. That is, that is something that is often feared greatly by those in power. The unity of the church. And the powerful dynamic that we have because of our peace in God. I just read this morning 
on Christian Post, which is a very respectable uh, news site on Christian stuff, that in China, I don't know if you know, but all kinds of horrible things are going on in China, and you probably know some, but this was a new one. I read that the Chinese government, they're producing their own version of the Bible. They're changing, and that one of them is a story of the woman caught in the act of adultery, whom Jesus said he was without sin, cast the first stone. Now they've changed that to say that Jesus himself stoned her. There's other things, too, over the years that the Chinese communist government has required of Christians and required of churches, but it's getting far, far worse. Hey, when we sing and worship and without fear in this place, just remember there are places all over this world where that is not true, and China's one of them, and Iran is another one of them, and Saudi Arabia, and many parts of India. There are millions and tens of millions of Christians in this world that right now on this day are huddled in secrecy, singing in whispers, whispers, so that they wouldn't be heard by the neighbors and turned in. And yet, those very same people have peace because they have discovered that through the cross, there is a joy that transcends their circumstance. And so they're willing to lose jobs and their kids don't get to go to public schools or good schools and they suffer in all kinds of ways because they are living mostly for a heavenly kingdom and a heavenly home. And they know that she will die one day. Just like now, died. Just like Stalin and those other thugs died. But Jesus was raised from the dead. Don't ever forget that. That's the basis of our peace. It's the foundation of our security and our joy. I'm from Montana, but we served, Paula and I did, in Texas for a number of years in Oklahoma. I went to seminary in Texas. So it took us down there. And you know, they have tornadoes down there. <laughs> and I remember we were in Oklahoma and there was a tornado, tornado warning, which meant someone saw it and it was there. It wasn't just something to be feared. It, I mean, it was there. And so anyways, tornado warning. Well, we didn't have a tornado shelter. Most people don't. But, but we had a closet. And so Paula got our boys. Rhett's here, our young, oldest son. So Rhett and our youngest son were in the closet with uh, my wife. And I went out on the back deck to see if I could see this thing. You know, that's what you do. <laughs> and I hadn't been out there that long when one of the boys got out, made a break, <laughs> got out of the closet and came and grabbed onto my leg. Probably three, four years old. There's something really cool about little children like that because they think dad is the greatest thing in the world and can protect them from anything. And so to be with me and to hold on to me, he thought he was safe. Well, that's not really true and we understand that. However, it is true with our God. Jesus himself is the solution to our turmoil and trouble. Jesus took all of our foils and crimes and cursings and he took all of that and buried it under his blood and he brought us into the family and he gave us peace and he gave us joy that transcends all circumstance. Is this something that you've experienced? If it's not, it can be. It can be. All you have to do is by faith turn to Jesus and trust him and commit your life to him. 
And he does things in you that you could never do in yourself and no other person could do. He brings about a transformation. You go from a troubled soul to a transformed soul overnight. In fact, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. So before you leave this place, I'm going to pray for us. But talk to me, talk to Tully, talk to whomever in this room that you trust that can help you know how to find Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what this is all about. Hey, the church, Go Church has one product, one thing to offer, and that's Jesus. That's it. Now, Jesus affects all of life, so we can talk about all kinds of things. But in the end, everything has to drive us back to Christ. That's what we have to offer Ridgefield and Battleground and this part of the world. It's just Jesus. That's what this church has to offer you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Jesus. Thankful, Lord, that at the very end of his life, shortly before the cross, he was thinking about us and the trouble that this world holds for us and yet his ability to give us peace and joy in the midst of trouble. Thank you, Father, for sending your son not only to teach us these things but to effect these things through the cross and the resurrection. Now, Father, anyone in this room who doesn't yet know Jesus, who hasn't yet surrendered their life to him and confessed Jesus through baptism, may today be their day of salvation. May today be their day when they turn to Jesus and trust him only. Father, for the rest of us, Lord, help us to know that we have a message for the people out there, and the message is Jesus and the joy found therein. Father, may we be your ambassadors this day and the day after until the day that Jesus himself returns. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.